Infirmary Media. In decades, the Matrix and Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love. Who coach your popping pins, dropping hand grenades? Van Halen locked in Mortal Kombat with David Gray. Found out ballet in sick. I am made of GNR. Come fight for what you love. Broadcasting from the Bio Bidet Studios, where water does it better. It's the adult audio retro game show where the 80s and 90s do battle because it's your history. We just fight for it. Welcome back to another gnarly episode of Dueling Decades. Let's take a look at this week's duelers and the decades they will be fighting for as we return to tag team action here on our show. First off, dueling with June 1995 along with myself, it's the other half of the Mamalukes. What's up? It's Man Crush, and this is awesome that we actually get to do to the 90s. Going back and doing the research, it really brought me back to the high school years. So I'm looking forward to this one, and we're not going to lose. And this week in the 80s corner, dueling with June of 1982. Hi, I'm Mike Ranger, uh, battling with my partner Dino, and we are Mega Force with fries, drink, and a salad. Yes, hello. <laughs> And as always here on our show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. And only one man can hold down this court. He's back. The right honorable Judge John Cross. That's right. I am John Cross. Let me bring my massive gavel down upon you. Uh, good evening, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under dueling decades rules. The judges coin flip shall decide who picks first. Out of the five dueling decades categories, movies, television, music, news, and of course, hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And the winning decade shall be decided by the highest overall score after all five rounds. Now, duelers... Throw your hands in the air like you just don't care, because it's time to play... Alright, so I have, uh, for tonight's uh, coin flip... I believe that's a toss-off, John. It is, a to it's a toss-off, and uh, it's the immortal uh, Book of the Dead from uh, Evil Dead, as illustrated by the great Tom Sullivan. Uh, it smells mm, like a condom full of dead worms, uh, so... <laughs> Do you want uh, the face or the ear? Because on the back of the uh, uh, Book of the Dead is an ear. So do you want face or ear? Let's give it a Dino. He's the uh, Dino. You call the flip. You're the new guy. Okay, I'll go with the ear. Oh, we're going for the ear. All right, here we go. Drum roll, please. I'm sorry, Dino. It is the face in your face. Bollocks. Good. <laughs> Good. All right, Mark. Uh, what do you think about news? Yeah, we can go news. Why don't you start us off? All right. June 1st, 1995. It's so weird to say the 90s, but there it is. The official launch of FBI.gov, one of the most popular U.S. government websites, even till this day, goes online for the first time 
Now, instead of going to the post office to see your FBI top 10, you can now go to www.fbi.gov and see all of them there with up-to-date information and tips. And I'd say the coolest part about this is the ability for the FBI to start utilizing the internet to kind of disseminate instant information to the general public. There's no more faxes, no more mailed posters to the post office or police stations. And from this point on, the FBI could update their website with relevant crime information as it happens, which they hadn't been able to do to this point. Uh, you got updated photographs, which would be huge in catching a, a criminal. So you're not looking at something that's 10 years old. If they've, uh, you know, something was updated and it came out, you wouldn't have to wait for it to go to a picture and they can update like their tips, their crime stats, all that stuff. And then after the uh, the World Trade Center bombing in 93, the FBI, they had a more significant role to uh, fight domestic terrorism. So the website was one of the ways that they plan on informing the public on things that were going on. And I realize that people are going to point out things like their misses. They're going to point out the Oklahoma cities and 9-11 and all that. But let's just take some solace about all the attacks that they've thwarted that we have no idea about. So it is kind of a big deal. And, you know, in 2019, a website going up, nobody cares. We have literally, there's over a billion websites on the internet now. Back in June of 1995, there were only 23,500 or about. Wow. So in, yeah, June 1995, this is a massive thing fbi.gov goes live right but don't we all just long for the days of seeing the most wanted up on paper posters on the wall of our post office isn't that a bygone era we wish we could get back no the, the post office sucks bro <laughs> yeah but the post office had to print those out from somewhere and it came from the fbi website uh, right i guess <laughs> <laughs> but i mean it's think about it like you know if oh no dude i'm i'm well i'm i'm well on the page don't worry <laughs> yeah i will it's people are lazy and you know this and i'm but sure I'm people that well work at the post office how lazy are, people are i am the laziest man <laughs> so if they got like a poster sent to them how often do you think those are actually put up and hung anyway so now people don't even have to go to the post office they can just go to the website and look at these pictures online or whatever information so to me it was a big deal this was a big story for, oh it's uh, it's it's, def it's definitely a big deal unfortunately it makes movies worse because it's so, and the only reason being is because movies are so. Any movie that centers around a computer or a cell phone is a piece of shit. Just hands down, a piece of shit. All movies are so much better when they're like nervously sat in a post office and they notice the guy they just saw in the bank yes. on the wall in the poster, and then oh my god, he's after me, and that's much more exciting than googling the FBI website. I think cell phones killed it. Yeah, no, cell phones did. The, the moment any, there isn't a movie, I don't think, and I've tried to think of one, but there isn't a movie about a website or a cell phone that is as interesting as its other counterparts without it. Yeah. That makes pay phone though is fucking fantastic. Oh, pay for yeah, exactly. Look at phone booth. You can do phone booth now. Pho yeah, phone booth. That's what I meant. Not pay phone. <laughs> yeah, he'd be like, you have to stay on the line. He's like, fuck this. This is a burner. I'm gonna throw it in the garbage and run away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right mark i don't even know what you picked so this will be interesting for me too all right wednesday june 21st 1995 i don't know how well you guys remember the summer of 95 but there was one news story that weighed heavy over all of the others and we were obsessed with it and that was the oj simpson murder trial 
On Wednesday, June 21st, 1995, we got one of the most iconic moments from that trial when O.J. Simpson stepped up and tried the bloody gloves. Christopher Darden wanted him to try the gloves on, and, well, it didn't go exactly as he planned uh, because the gloves did not fit O.J. Simpson. So it kind of threw that whole theory right out the window and really screwed the prosecution. Can you please do it? Can you please say it? I know you want to say it. Well, I'm, I'm getting there because that was the day that uh, charismatic lawyer Johnny Cochran uttered the phrase that captivated us. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. And if anything, you say that phrase anywhere now, even if they don't know who Johnny Cochran is, you know what that's in reference to. It was one of the most iconic slogans of the 90s. So that's my pick for news. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. It's it's what I say about condoms all the time. <laughs> if it doesn't fit, use just the tip. That's the thing. <laughs> if it doesn't fit, pull out. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. C- count to ten and think of cricketers. That that that's one for Dino. Dino knows what I mean when I say cricketers. Yes, cricket. British reference. In America, it's if if it doesn't fit, think of Xavier McDaniel. That's right. <laughs> Don't come, Steve. <laughs> All right, off to you guys, June of 82. Well, I have a, I guess I, I have a sports story, uh, from, uh, June 20th, 1982. Uh, pro golfer Tom Watson entered golf history on the 17th hole of the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. He had been in a battle with Jack Nicholas, uh, and had a bad shot off the, off the, uh, back tee. He was in a pretty bad spot. It, w- it was, would have been difficult to control it. And he actually went down in history with hitting one of the most incredible shots. He chipped in right, it hit, it hits against the flag and drops right in. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's gone down as one of like the biggest shots in, in golf history. He had been in like uh, a battle with Jack Nicholas over the past few years. And it was the fourth time he had actually defeated, uh, Nicholas for a title. Yep. That's what, that's what I got. Fucking another inspiring golf story. <laughs> When you said Jack Nicholas, all I could picture was Jack Nicholson, which made the scene so much better. Yeah, that's the problem is is all my efforts were focused on trying to not say Jack Nicholson. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Gino, what do you got, man? Okay, so Google Maps and rolling 24-hour news would have been great on the morning of the, 20, uh, the 2nd of April, 82, when UK residents woke up to hear we had declared war on Argentina over the disputed Falkland Islands. And that morning, uh, there were many an atlas and the Encyclopedia Britannica was opened desperately by the people of uh, Britain to find out where this war was actually taking place because they thought it was off the coast of Scotland. And after they found out half our Argentina was away from us and pulled out a magnifying glass and found the Falklands, most of us left asking, uh, why the hell do we own these islands anyway? But we still went to war alone for the first time since the great Maui Maui uprising in 1952. Now, for two months, wow. one week, and five days, we fought gallantly for a patch of land of 4,700 square miles in operations such as the Battle of Goose Green and Mount Tumbledown. Sounds amazing. <laughs> but on the evening of the 14th of June, 1982, the Argentinians surrendered and we won. The first time we beat the Argentinians in anything for many, many years. <laughs> <laughs> So, I think yeah. a soccer match probably would have been like a bigger deal. <laughs> Football. Football. Yeah, we'd never be Argentina. Ever. <laughs> that, it would have been huge, though, if you did. Yeah, that would be later. What I love about the end of the Falklands is basically Argentina went, wait, 
if we say, all right, you've won, they all go home. <laughs> we can <laughs> just much. go back to whatever it is we're doing. It's like you know the nicest I mean? war ever. Such you hear these things that they set up a perimeter for the Red Cross ship during the flat on the sea. So people were injured, they just went to that and it was fine. It's like a yeah. safe zone. But yeah, it was um, described by an Argentinian writer as a fight between two bald men over a comb. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. They literally parked warships about two miles offshore and just shot cannons like into the island to killing some sheep. Uh, and then much. at the end of it, they just made a big pot roast. It was uh, it was great, really. Yeah, but it, Man, yeah. you guys really brought it for news. I'm, I'm <laughs> feeling pretty confident about that. Well, it's in the war, it's a big thing, you know. We won a war. <laughs> the Brits, <laughs> the Brits won a war without without the Americans uh, showing up and claiming they did it. All right, John Cross, give us the ruling for round one. All right, then. Okay, so the Mamelukes had barely any news at all. Something about an FBI website that nobody's ever heard of, and something about a um, Orange Simpson or something. I've never heard of this murder trial. Nobody knows anything about it. Uh, whereas Megaforce with fries, a drink, side salad, a mullet, and a tight uniform with a flying bike, they had some <laughs> pro-golfer thing. Um, don't we all love golf? Uh, and uh, the UK, was it the UK starts or ends the Falkland Island? E- either way, it doesn't really matter. It's we the end of it. We won. Woohoo! Uh, <laughs> No, I mean, what I what I want to ask uh, um, uh, Mark and Man Crush is this question: who who picked the who picks the dates? Who picked ninety five for the June ninety five for this one? I don't even remember. We did them. We at, picked this a while back. Yeah, I think we picked them at random. We just go through and look at what years we haven't done in haven't a while. Picked, and... Yeah. Well, you, we, you. I go by every ten years. I have um, I have like a matrix that I use. So every ten years, as soon as we use one, I cross one off. And then for the next episode, we know which ones are left, and we just keep going until those ten are done, and then we go back all over again. Um, yeah, because I mean, you guys struck the jackpot here in terms of news. Uh, you know, um, the O.J. Simpson murder trial. I mean, it's still uh, a pop culture reference. It's still a joke. It still um, uh, comes back time and time again in documentaries, and is brought up when any, basically anything, even particularly. Uh, uh, racially problematic comes into court. They all reference the O.J. Simpson murder trial, um, not least of which because O.J. Simpson himself was back in court, then went to prison, then came out of prison. So, um, uh, not least of which because he keeps getting into trouble. The big dumb fuck. Um, <laughs> well, you would think, right? If you'd got away with the murder of the century, like if you'd got away with it. The murder of the you wouldn't go after someone with some memorabilia with a fucking gun. You just wouldn't do it. You'd what did like, he do with that one? Did he like, break into a hotel room yeah. or some yeah. shit? He marched into a hotel with a pistol and held a dude up because he had a couple of signed footballs. I'm like, what the yeah. fuck, dude? And he wouldn't let them leave the room until he got his stuff back. So right there, that's kidnapping. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah. Dumb Didn't ass. he lose the civil case too? He did. No, he did lose the civil case, and in fact, hasn't paid back any of that money yet that he owes. That's crazy that you can be found innocent and then lose a civil trial. Yeah, uh, he won the murder case, but he lost the civil case. Yeah, um, and he owes them 
but basically the way the uh, jury got around it for the civil case was that they were like, or the judge got around it for the civil case was that they awarded the families a ludicrous sum. Like it's in the millions and millions. And I think he's paid them, you know, 50 cents and, uh, you know, half a Mars bar or something. Um, and he, he certainly hasn't given them any money. Probably why he was holding up, uh, uh, people yeah. in a hotel trying to get his, if I get assigned football, um, <laughs> I could maybe start paying back some of my murder cash. Anyway, <laughs> you know, uh, OJ Simpson, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Um, the only thing that I will never forgive him for is that I can no longer watch Naked Gun 1, 2, and 3 the same way. Uh, yeah. they should have stuck with the Norberg from the TV series. He was far funnier. Anyway, uh, I have to give it to the Mama Lukes. I don't want to because I want to give it to my buddy Dino for his wonderful UK story. Uh, it warmed <laughs> the cockles of my heart thinking of our brave lads uh, coming back from having a nice cushy holiday in South America, uh, having done nothing but sat on the ship and eating chip butties while the cannons did all the work. Um, but uh, unfortunately, I couldn't do that, Dino. Maybe next hey, time, maybe next a, round. We did get a little ball in a hole as well. Yeah, Yeah. true. Does it not count? No, no, no golf. No, it does. It does. I mean, the thing is, Dino, is that you and I know the kind of uh, way that the Falklands defied Thatcher's um, or defined Thatcher's prime ministership, and the way that it kind of uh, kicked off that whole eighties mess that that really kind of like leads right up until the the fall of the Berlin Wall. But as much as it kind of defines a bunch of stuff in the UK, it is not in anywhere near the same league as the pop culture relevance of O.J. Simpson, sadly. That, that's handy because, you know, I might have just chosen all my British all stories as being British, so that's... that's <laughs> Don't worry, Dino, I will side with you on one of them. Sadly, our uh, reality TV-loving... Uh, friends right. over the Atlantic uh, don't right. have go on it, about O.J. Simpson enough. Yeah, it doesn't matter what uh, country you guys took over, what war you won. A rich white lady was killed. Right, exactly. <laughs> and someone managed to find some tiny, tiny, tiny bloodstained gloves. <laughs> He's like, could you put them on? No, it must have been Chucky. These are dolls gloves. And he had a he had a rubber glove on underneath the glove to make it even worse. Right. And he stopped taking his... Uh, arthritis medication so his hands swelled up yeah look we all know he's as guilty as sen uh and should still be in prison today fuck that guy but the sales of white broncos went up exponentially so that's always a good thing i guess let's go to the next one i'm done with my oj simpson jokes mark you want to go to uh you want to go to television yeah let's go there. that's what i was thinking man all right cool yeah uh go ahead you can lead off all right so for my television I am going to go with an episode of Primetime. Uh, Primetime was a news magazine show hosted by Sam Donaldson and, of course, Diane Sawyer. Um, the program's highest-rated episode in its history happened to be on June 14, 1995. It was an episode where Diane Sawyer interviewed Michael Jackson and Lisa Marie Presley for the world premiere of Michael Jackson's video for his latest single, Scream. Uh, the transmission garnered 37.5 million viewers. It was just a massive interview. It really was the only thing that dominated the ratings that month, other than Friends, and that was in reruns. So, June 14th, 1995, Diane Sawyer interviews Michael Jackson and Lisa Marie Presley and debuts this the video for Scream. 
Well, you got to throw out why that's so important, too. And it wasn't just because of the scream or, you know, the album or anything else. It was the fact that Michael Jackson was married to the king of everything, you know, king of rock, his daughter. Everyone thought it was fake and it was staged. And right. they kind of did that to show that they were really married and this, that, and the other thing. She came out with an article after it wasn't an article. It was like an interview. Like, I think it was like 2010. Or it was like right after he died. And she said that their marriage was legitimate. They like banged all the time and stuff. Like the very first night, matter of fact, they actually met in uh, at Trump's mansion or stayed in Trump's mansion in uh, what's that place in Florida that he has? Mar-a-Lago. Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. And they banged all night there. And she oh, talked Jesus. all about it. These are just things I don't want to fucking imagine. <laughs> I don't want to imagine Jackson and Presley humping while Trump downstairs quaffs his third cheesecake. <laughs> if there's anything that could make that story worse. It's Trump with like a goblet to the door. Like a gold <laughs> goblet. Listening to fucking Jackson and Presley fuck. That's the most <laughs> disgusting thing I can imagine. His bulbous, orange, sweaty face becoming engorged as he listens to the moans and bumps. Of- hey, but that's why 37.5 million people tuned into that interview, <laughs> because right. they wanted to see if that shit was real. They were just hoping if Diane Sawyer was going to do what Katie Couric did and get a colonoscopy live. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted to see if Jackson himself would perform the operation. <laughs> All right, man crush, over to you. What do you got, man? All right, so uh, June 5th, 1995, MTV debuts a game show that starred the creator of Nerdist as the host and Donnie Wahlberg's hot wife. The show was a dating show, then in a mere 22 minutes, they would sift through 50 potential dates for one lucky gal or one lucky guy. There's actually 100 contestants who were in the crowd, 50 for each sex. By round three, you figured out who the winner was. And if you were alive in the 90s, I'm sure you watched this one. It was a staple of the afternoon MTV programming in 1995 through 1998. And it was just announced that they're receiving a reboot on MTV's new Queeby streaming platform, which is also getting a punked reboot. Uh, The show that I'm speaking of, of course, is the classic Singled Out. Uh, You had a young Chris Hardwick basically in his first real TV gig and a super hot Jenny McCarthy Fresh off her 1994 Playmate of the Year status. Uh, And look where they've gone since. Obviously, Jenny went on to do a bunch of shit over the years. But Hardwick is fucking everywhere. This dude, he just bought a $5 million mansion like a couple years ago. I'd say he's doing all right for himself. Yeah, Jenny uh, Jenny McCarthy is voluntarily killing her own children. Meanwhile, Chris Hardwick is desperately trying to record every single podcast except this one. All right, over to you, Mike Ranger. What do you got? All right, well, on June 15th, 1982, Hulk Hogan appears on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson to promote Rocky Three, which came out on May 28th. But more importantly, he talks about this new craze taking over called Hulkamania. Johnny asks him a very, a very bad question, if, if wrestling is fake. Oh, and from right there, up? the interview gets tense. It's uncomfortable. You could see that he's really pissed off that he even went there. It's interesting because outside of Rocky Three, it's really like the it's really Hulk Hogan's like introduction to like a different an audience that isn't watching wrestling. Yeah, and um, it's just cool like that he keeps putting it out there like to pay attention to this new thing called Hulkamania. So I'm sure you guys have seen the interview. It's he's fucking huge next to uh, Johnny Carson's desk. 
Does he does he admit that it is all fake or not? No, um, he actually spins it into saying that like if the audience would be willing to get in the ring with him, they would find out how not fake it is. But it's also interesting because if you look a little bit later in 1984, he gets into that incident with like uh, that comedian uh, Richard uh, Belzner. Everyone that- just knows him as Munch. He should have went all David Schultz on him and smacked him like David Schultz did to uh, John Stossel. Wait, did Hogan <laughs> choke? Did Hogan choke out Belzer then? Yes, he did in 1984. Yeah, you wow. can watch that clip on YouTube. It is unreal. Yeah, it puts him to sleep. Yeah, it puts him to sleep, and Belzer falls and he smacks his head on the floor. And when he gets up, he uh, he just looks right at the camera and says, "We'll be right back," and then turns around and walks away. And Belzer's head is just soaked in blood. Cracked wow. his skull wide open. Wow, that's such a shame. I love Belzer. He plays Munch on like 75 different yeah. NBC TV shows. Yeah, Belzer has gone on to saying that he has a nice uh, chateau in the south of France because of Hulk Hogan. <laughs> oh, shit. All right, over to Dino, man. What do you got for TV? Yeah, after the last one, I'm not feeling so positive about this because it's, it's another British. Well, it's not just British, but it is like not an American thing. So every four years, there's a big sporting event live televisual sporting event um usually well if you're american you think it's going to be the olympics but there's another one um where millions of people around the world unite in the colors of their country crowd around tv sets in their homes pubs bars cafes way flag drink beer and if you're english start a few fights with foreigners uh, this is the 12th <laughs> fifa world cup and it had its opening match on the 14th of june 1982 hosted in spain it was kicked off at the new camp stadium in barcelona where belgium defeated the reigning champions argentina one to nothing in the first group match. Two days later, there was a more impressive win when Hungary uh, beat the footballing giants of El Salvador 10-1 in a match to this day that holds the record for the most goals scored by one team in the World Cup tournament. Damn, that's an ass whooping. Yeah. Wow. Get killed after that? <laughs> Argentina had a really shitty June. They like, <laughs> they like lose a fucking war and then they lose the football on the opening fucking match yeah, to Belgium. Belgium of all fucking <laughs> that, places. That's because all their good players are probably fucking fighting on, what was the name of that island? The Falklands. Falklands. The Falklands. What's yeah, the name of that there. island? That's like me going, um, what's the name of that country in the South Pacific where you guys had all that trouble in the 70s? Like, <laughs> fuck, how do I know? So if you're not familiar with it, uh, the event last for like an entire month so it goes from june into july there's 52 matches in the 82 world cup 36 of them in the first round which is like a round one tournament there's a couple of incidents in the, the event it was disgrace of gijon they call it where west germany and austria fixed the final match in the group stage so both teams went through essentially the, the germany needs to win one nil or two nil for both teams to go through so they uh, austria um conveniently conceded a goal in the first 10 minutes and then the rest of the match they were just playing footsie with the ball just kicking it around not really trying to score a goal either way they just didn't give me a shit and um, yeah the, Algeria was a team that got kicked out and everyone felt very sorry for them because they were like the plucky underdogs who actually beat uh, West Germany in the first match and then it was the worst foul in football history which is fucking beautiful it's uh, Patrick Battison <laughs> versus Harold Schumacher, who's uh, the German goalkeeper. And Patrick Battison is playing in France. He's a striker who's um, about to score quite a nice, lovely little goal. It's through on the goalkeeper, and the goalkeeper jumps up and delivers the most stunning hip attack ever, which um, knocked two of his teeth out, damaged his vertebrae in his neck, and sent oh. him into a coma. <laughs> Jeez. Yes. Yeah, you can find it online. It, it's amazing. Um, the ref gave Germany a goal kick. 
wasn't a foul. <laughs> wow. Did that happen in June of 82 as well, that, that foul? Ooh, that would have been... Or was that later on? Are we finals. just quoting... It is the whole event I'm going with. But yeah. that may have been July. But yeah, right. the, the event itself, um, I mean, you know... Starts in June. Football, viewing figures are through the roof. And this is not just England. This is just Europe and places where football, you know, soccer is enjoyed. Yeah, what, what, what I like is that throughout that entire spiel about all the things that were happening in the uh, FIFA World Cup in 1982, I don't think there was one mention of the UK or England. We got through to the second round and lost on penalties. Same thing as we always do. Same thing as we always do. Yeah. What was it like? We we won like back in 1964, was it? No, 66. 66. Yeah. And we have not let it fucking go since, which defines <laughs> exactly... One of the things that I hate about England. No, uh, one of the things that defines English people. They just will not give shit up. They keep talking about the war and the fucking football in 1966. The bigger wars, though, not just the Falklands. No, not just the Falklands. No, no, no. I'm not talking about you, Dino. I'm talking about England in general. We did beat the Maui Maui tribesmen as well, you know. People are like, rah, 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 the Second World War, we beat Hitler. And then they immediately jumped to 1966. Oh, and then there was that time we beat Germany in a football match. Oh, shit, that reminds me. You're welcome, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I heard the Russians won it for us. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh. All right, John Cross, what do you got on this round? Fuck me, Dino, I really wanted to give this to you. I really wanted to give this to you, but they had to come you with that. figures in the millions. Yeah, right? 37.4. Wait, uh, yeah, what was the viewing figures? Do you know the viewing well, figures? Well, it's impossible to count, isn't it? Because in, in the UK alone, there's millions. Yeah. But then you've got Argentina, Germany, France, Belgium. Was there anything about the June FIFA World Cup in 1982 that set it, sets it apart from any other World Cup? Uh, a couple of rule changes. Is there anything that people would still be talking about it today if it wasn't for this show? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, Dino, I'm actually trying to help. I'm actually trying to help. What I'm actually trying to do is find a way where this particular FIFA World Cup would somehow beat uh, Diane Saw masturbating Michael Jackson on, uh, or whatever she did on live television. I mean, yeah. That would have gotten 47 million. Yeah. I mean, if you go view figures alone, the Football World Cup has more on like just two or three matches. Right, so we've got that going for it. And then, Mike, do we know the viewing figures for Hulk Hogan on The Tonight Show? I mean, it's The Tonight Show. It's People watched it. (laughs) No, but it it used to get like 16 million or something, right? No, I I didn't look up the the figures for that viewing. It's not like anybody was excited to see Hulk Hogan on it. It's more just like it's his first appearance. And is it the first time he uses the word Hulkamania? Is there any record of him using that before then? I'm sure it's had been used within the wrestling market, but it's the first time the public that's not. <laughs> Help me out here! I'm trying yeah. to give it to you. <laughs> well, well I mean, you got to dig that deep, John. Come on, man! <laughs> Don't make me intervene and be the bad guy here. The thing with sporting events, it's like you were saying before, it's tough with sporting events because they're big at the time, but they don't really have legs unless something insane happens where you remember it forever. Unless it's the 1966 one. (laughs) (laughs) Unless America wins it, it's not important. Yeah, that's not going to happen anytime (laughs) soon. Yeah, exactly. Come on, man. All right, Uh, now we're into (laughs) sci-fi. Yeah. In the future, America's really good at soccer, and they've adopted cricket as their national pastime. <laughs> yeah. England has, with one unanimous voice, 
killed itself. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, man. Well, look, the 80s are going to win on movies. That's a given. Uh, the 80s going to win on anything else. They probably won't win on hot products. They, they haven't won on news. They might win on music. Come on, man. You can't be cheating like this, I'm dude. I'm cheating. Listen. You can't, you're trying to figure out a way to get the 80s to win the entire match in the second fucking round. I want to throw my buddy Dino a bone. He's struggling here with uh, all we've got is that Argentina is shit at everything. That's all we've got in June 1982. Ah, oh, fuck it. All right. We give it to 1995 again. Ah, oh, the Mamelukes take another round. Uh, because believe it or not, uh, singled out Chris Hardwick, Jenny McCarthy, they are still pop culture uh, relevant today. Uh, Jenny McCarthy for killing her children or voluntarily putting them <laughs> in harm's way. And Chris Hardwick for a myriad of reasons, mostly because he wears very tight suits and has an annoying voice. Um, and, uh, Michael Jackson marrying, uh, what's her name? Presley and all that kind of stuff. That was, uh, it was apparently big news. Um, so yeah, all, all I, all I like to know is that uh, she then goes on and marries Nick Cage afterwards for like a day. Um, which I always think oh, is fantastic. Oh yeah, I forgot all about that. Yep, yep, yep. I wonder if, uh, I wonder if he had bubbles like in the closet watching them. Uh, it's the kind of thing I imagine Nick Cage would do, uh, would be steal Michael Jackson's monkey and then, uh, force, <laughs> force it to watch them as he had sex with the, it's old owner. I've gone into a weird dark place. The Mama Luke's win. Next. <laughs> it's really weird. All right, man crush. Where do we want to go with this one? We got music, I, movies, hot products. I think we got to go to movies because John said they're winning movies. So we might as well just do it now. Let's do it. Cheers, John. <laughs> Wait, Dino, you're winning movies. If you haven't picked like, I don't know, a, a, a TV movie version of on the buses, where they go to Argentina or some shit. If you've picked that, then no. But if you've picked a movie that was popular in 1982, then yes. <laughs> That's more British humor for Dino. Sorry. All right. Well, I guess I'll start this round out. You want, I'll start this one out because I think uh, you might have the better selection, I think. Well, I got the made-for-TV version of On the Buses, so probably not. <laughs> I hope you... Yeah. The reboot in 1995. <laughs> Go ahead, Man Crush. What do you got, man? All right. So summer of 95. We got uh, June 30th, 1995. We get the highly anticipated comic adaptation. That have been, they've been throwing this movie around for nearly like probably 20 years since this comic came out. And I think it was 1977. It actually is a 2080, part of 2080. So I'm sure you guys know where I'm going with this, especially the UK guys, maybe. Uh, the character that I speak of, it I'm telling you, it had been rumored for like 15 years that they were going to make this movie, and it never transpired through the 80s. But the closest thing that we got in the 80s was a modestly inspired film called RoboCop in 1987. And the crazy part about that is since RoboCop was such a massive hit, it actually hindered this movie from being released until 1995. Uh, the production studios were just concerned that people would think it was a flat-out copy if they tried to release it in the late 80s, so they just never did it, even though the original inspired much of RoboCop. And then, like I said, being that you guys are from the UK, I, I'm, I figure you know where I'm going with this, but this would be, of course, the Sylvester Stallone-driven film adaptation of Judge Dredd. I am the law! I am the law! Uh, <laughs> 
The movie went on to take in $114 million worldwide. It's about $200 million in 2019. It's not an amazing amount of money when you think of comic movies now, but when you think about it in the 90s, it's actually pretty decent considering arguably the biggest comic book adaptation in the 90s, which was probably Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, only brought in $200 million worldwide. So it's not really that far off. And then the second factor you got to think about with this movie, it carried an R rating. And at the time, uh, Danny Cannon actually wanted this to be a hard R, but the studio and Stallone both wanted it to be PG-13. So the original cut, I don't know if you guys know the story, but as they were doing Judge Dredd, it actually got f- turned into an NC-17 NC four times by the MPAA uh, until they cut it down. They brought it to an R and then they just didn't have enough time to keep cutting it down to PG-13. And thank God they didn't because... It is what it is at rated R. It's still a fun movie. It's not, it's like a mindless Stallone flick. Could it have been better? Absolutely. But then again, you have to look at the other turd that we had. Like the other adaptation that came out this month was Batman Forever. So compared to that, it feels like Citizen Kane in my book because those two uh, Joel Schumacher Batmans from the 90s were fucking garbage. Plus, it had Diane Lane in it. And she's super hot, so that's yeah. extra points for that. And a Monday or Sunday. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, like, I actually thought he was a really good villain in that movie. Yeah, I love a Monday or Sunday. You can put him in anything. Yeah, you should see him little, uh, little darlings. He's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, here's a little uh, a tie-in for you, John. A little John Carpenter tie-in. Do you know who the voice of Central was in this movie? Uh, no, I don't, actually. Yeah, the, the voice of the supercomputer that, that controls Mega City, it's actually Adrian Barbeau. Oh, wow. Uh, playing another voice of a computer. What was the first movie she played the voice of a computer in? The first? Mm, it's another John Carpenter flick. Well, it's it's not The Fog and it's not uh, Escape from New York. What is it? She plays the uh, chess computer in The Thing. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, that he's playing with at the beginning. That's a deep cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One last thing about uh, Judge Dredd. This would have made the movie cooler. Diane Lane, they actually wanted her to do an ass shot for the movie. And she said no, but not because she didn't want to show her ass. It was because she didn't want to show her ass next to Stallone's ass in a shower scene. Because she thought her ass, his ass would upstage hers. Valid. Apparently, Sharon Stone had no such quandary when it came to the specialists. Some years not at all. Well, she fucking showed it all the time, anyway. Yeah. Well, no, Sharon Stone and uh, uh, Sharon Stone and Sylvester Stallone in the specialists look. It's it's the it's the most like as if Ken and Barbie had like there were two hands either side pushing a Ken and Barbie into the shower. Like it's ridiculous how plastic that and sex scene is both. so robotic yeah it's ridiculous oh, it's, it's literally like like two ken and bobby just being like robots <laughs> together. it really is <laughs> no penetration at all no well they don't have genitals they just have like this smooth curve surface yeah but that's not true about stallone because he wasn't a porno yes he was well a softcore kind of thing yeah he flopped it around a little bit what was it <laughs> Part- party at kitty and studs yeah that what it was such a great name <laughs> All right, Mark. All right, so we'll go over to my movie. On uh, June 30th, 1995, we got Apollo 13. Ron Howard directed this tour de force of acting, uh, headlined by the great Tom Hanks, Bill Paxton, Kevin Bacon, Gary Sinise, and the great Ed Harris, probably giving the best performance of the movie over Tom Hanks. 
All right, so this movie was budgeted at $52 million and ended up coming in with a cumulative worldwide gross of $355 million plus. It won two Oscars and was nominated for 56 other awards and is still hailed as one of the great, I guess you could say, outer space movies of all time. That's a good flick. I like it. Oh, it's a great flick. And, of course, now, still relevant, uh, they got Apollo 11 coming out now, which, of course, is the prequel. I would have hoped that by 1995, Apollo 13 was actually the 13th sequel to the Rocky spinoff, Apollo. Uh, but but sad, sad, sadly not. Uh, it's a boring film featuring Tom Hanks and Ron Howard's cheeky younger brother, Clint Howard, who looks like something someone stepped on uh, when wow. they were in a 1980s movie theater. Well, maybe they could have fought Apollo once they got to the moon. That they had um, to fight Apollo for the rights to the moon. Yeah. Well, but yeah. That now that would have been a movie if they'd sent Carl Weathers up uh, to the rocky satellite of our fair planet, and he had to fight Tom Hanks for supremacy. That would be amazing. <laughs> it's a Drago rematch on the moon. <laughs> oh, that would be great. awesome. But yeah, this movie was so well regarded for its special effects, its visuals everything that NASA actually wanted to use footage for some of their presentations and stuff because it was so realistic and lifelike. So. Yeah, and despite despite its high rating and its popularity at the time, people have not been able to find a single person who has watched it or owned it since. <laughs> <laughs> I own it. And have you? how many times have you watched it, Man Crush? I just watched it probably like two years ago. Really, but I, I didn't watch. I didn't watch my copy though. I watched it on streaming. <laughs> <laughs> but that, in my defense, a lot of my stuff I end up watching on streaming just because it's more convenient than going and putting it into the DVD. Yeah, player. who the fuck wants to walk across the room and grab something? Yeah. So Crazy. I so I will do my uh, movies of 1995 rundown once we've heard from Megaforce with fries, a drink, side salad, mullet, tight uniform, and flying bike. Do you know you want to go first on this? There were so many good ones to pick in June 1982. Do me proud, guys. Do me proud. Um, Your Honor, do I need to insult your intelligence? Um, I'm picking E.T. What movie was that? <laughs> He's picking E.T. Something about oh, letters. Yeah, Eddie Torres, The Extra Testicle. Love <laughs> yeah. that movie, man. It's the right choice in terms of uh, 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 popularity at the time. It's the wrong choice in terms of my movie test. <laughs> you want me to go into detail with it or is, is you sure everyone listening to the show knows what et is i'm pretty sure if you want to drop any knowledge you can but um, ET. i mean it had a video game <laughs> <laughs> a really good one yeah yeah it might have killed the whole industry i mean i found it earlier the sequel was hinted at briefly by spielberg but was canned when he re- when he realized it would do nothing but rob the original of his virginity and this is why E.T. remains a standalone story, and to this day, no remake, reboot, or reimagine has needed been needed because it was so perfect. You know, at some point, Disney will probably buy it up and remake it, and at that point, oh, I God, hopefully, I people burn effigies of Mickey at the gate to Disney and burn down Epcot. <laughs> but yeah, E.T. Solid pick, man. You can't argue with that. Yeah, that's, made uh, that's iconic. $793 million. Modern money, that is $2.1 billion. Mark, have we met? I, I could argue with E.T. <laughs> No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm Personally, kidding. one can argue with ET. Yeah, cultural significance wise, you can't. Yeah, well, that ex- dominated ex- that ex- year. Except that I, well, and I don't know because I don't have children. But 
how, like, in terms of popularity now, like, in terms of continual popularity, has E.T. maintained, in the same way that, like, Mary Poppins has or Sound of Music has or one of those films has maintained its popularity throughout Wizard of Oz is another one. Has E.T. really, like, are there children watching E.T. today and still getting the same thing? I don't know. No. I don't have children. No. I, I don't know if they're watching it today, but they had a good 20-year yeah. run. And I think it's different now. Like, my, my son's nine years old, and he hasn't sat through all of E.T. yet. But he knows about the movie. He knows the references because it's still used in like memes and online. People are still always talking yeah. about it. So he knows what it is. But does he know what Mac and me is? Because that's really important. <laughs> <laughs> he likes that one. Yeah, he does. What about Crush Groove? Does he know that one? <laughs> he does because I have it on VHS. Oh, well. <laughs> that's going to be the bigger movie. Tom's going to tell on that one. You know, my, my, my point being is that do do we think like in a hundred years time i think people are still going to be caught talking about john carpenter's the thing i don't know if they're still going to be talking about et just in terms of like cultural significance not necessarily financial here's what it is john we just posted that like a couple weeks ago because it came out we posted it to our social media they came out like back to back that's kind of why the thing flopped on its release yeah, if you go to facebook.com forward slash dueling decades, every morning we'll put out whatever the movie was that was released. And a couple of weeks back, it was ET and it was posted to our Instagram as well. And uh, I, I got into a discussion with a lady that on our Instagram who said that when her daughter watched it, she didn't care, didn't even finish it. And it's funny because when I watched it with my daughter last year, she walked out, I don't know, maybe like an hour into it. Because, you know, it's got like that slow portion. Oh, yeah. And like when the I, credits come up and then when they end. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Listen, I think this is the deal. Like for and obviously this is a big one for their round. So I'm No, no, totally. I mean, yeah, them. they're winning it because of ET, but yeah. But like if you look at it from our standpoint in our age, it's monumental and it's huge. So as long as we're alive, ET is gigantic. If we see ET, we're ex- we're going to flash back to it. I get your point though and I think I there just are mean, some younger I think kids. Our, that I think our generation no is carrying the thing forward far more than it is et or even if you look at others and i was going to do this at the end of the round but like even if you look at something like poltergeist or if you look at blade runner or if you look at even star trek 2 wrath of khan or whatever like these movies to some extent will outlive et just because i feel like as our generation grow up and then have children we're more likely to pass those movies on i feel like being nerds geeks and whatever than we are E.T. because E.T. doesn't have necessarily the cool factor, but also it's just not as good a movie. It was very I think that's popular. Spielberg too, though. He kind of killed it on his own. Like, yes. you know, he after a couple of years, after the video game flopped and everything else, there really was no more E.T. popping up in commercials and things like that. He wasn't al- around in pop culture. But if you look at a picture from the 80s, 100% sure you will see a picture of E.T. Oh, well, a, yeah, yeah, any no, no. kind of that, montage not, or anything, yeah. you will see E.T. Not so. even not even debating that. That's 100% yeah, so that, true. That's yeah, huge. Yeah. I'm actually on John's side on this one. I actually don't like E.T. that much. But no. it is a massive film. And it's um, as yeah. much as I wanted to do Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan, which is my favorite film from that whole area. Yeah. It's like E.T. is just a bigger film. Yeah. But Wrath of Khan is phenomenal. It's one yeah. of the it's one of the greatest space films ever made. All right, all right, Mike. Mike, what have you got? You can't fail. Come on. Well, uh, 
Well, I'm uh, I'm just gonna go with uh, June 11th's uh, Grease Two. <laughs> nice, yes. solid, better than the original. Yes, it is better than the fucking original. Grease Two. No, is get the fuck out of here. Fucking ass. No, of I course love- not. Grease Two is fucking atrocious. Are you shitting me? Michelle Pfeiffer in Grease yeah, Two yeah, yeah, yeah. is insanely good. The songs are catchy as all get out. And oh come on, no, they man. are. They are. Stop. And <laughs> and Michelle Pfeiffer didn't grow old to be like weird or a Scientologist or like do embarrassing music videos on YouTube or wear a ridiculous wig or do any of the things that the two people from the original Greece have. And she, she was in an embarrassing music video with right. Coolio. Though. <laughs> True. Yeah. But so many people were in the nineties. We couldn't even uh, begin to list that, but no. And then um, uh, not only that, but Greece too, Despite the 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 bunker scene, is at least uh, progressive in its own way because the rape scene. Yes, the almost <laughs> yeah. rape scene. First of all, it's di- first of all it's directed by a woman, and secondly, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's character is far more progressive and outspoken uh, from a feminist standpoint than any character in the original Grease. Except well, yeah, maybe it's a complete, Rizzo. It's a complete flip that. on the original. Ex- Gre- except Gre- maybe Rizzo. Uh, from the original Grease, like Grease, Grease One has Stockard Channing going for it, but Grease Two has Michelle Pfeiffer going for it. And let's not forget our homeboy Maxwell Caulfield getting the yeah. Britain there, just brilliant, excellent. I won't hear a word against Grease Two. You win the round, Mike. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, you don't even have to pick anything else. No, Grease Two. But uh, let's let's just put this into some context, which is why June 1982 actually wins the round. As I've said before, they've got Blade Runner, they've got E.T., they've got The Thing, they've got Poltergeist, they've got Annie, they've got Grease 2, they've got Star Trek 2, The Wrath of Khan, you've got The Secret of Nim, you've got the American remake of The Last American Virgin, and that's about where it ends. But that is one hell of a long uh, list of great movies that are still celebrated today. You also have the very little-known slasher film Girls' Night Out, in which a killer wearing a dancing bear suit stalks a variety of cheerleaders even in 1982 they'd run out of costumes for serial killers to wear i've seen those clips on pornhub <laughs> man the guy in the bear suit yeah the dancing bear suit <laughs> where is they call it like hen party or something yeah, right. yeah. it <laughs> doesn't called, end the same though <laughs> they're called furries and they have their own conventions and they're legally protected under the where whatever the fuck you want to screw another human being act of 1983 so yeah 1982 wins let's go on to the next round congratulations gentlemen two-point round where do you guys want to go you got music or hot products what do you think man where do you want to go hot product yeah because it's just <laughs> awful doesn't matter what fucking decade you get do you want you want to go first i gotta like fucking come up with some bullshit to make this yeah, acceptable. i'm sure this one's gonna have an objection to it okay so um on the June the 7th, 1982, Graceland opened its doors to the public for the first time as a museum to the late star's life and career. That star being Elvis, the king. Um, he died in 1977 at the stupidly young age of, of 42. He originally bought the ninth property in 1957 for £102,000. And after his death, his wife Priscilla was left in charge of the house and 14-acre estate was facing huge upkeep costs and massive tax bills. She almost sold the property but decided to open up the doors instead, a decision which would have had Elvis jailhouse rocking in his grave. 
Now, on the opening day, the gates welcomed in over 3,000 fans from all over the world paying $5 a head to walk around the gaudily designed living room, pool room, TV room, and jungle, jungle. room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there. It's cool. It looks amazing. We all aspire to one day having a jungle room. <laughs> It's, it's like a, a hideous un- fucking room, man. It's got but, like green carpet and shit. It's like the you. It's like if you go into one of those motels where they have all the different themed rooms, and one yes. of the themes is jungle room. You just go stop there. I don't even just stop there. I'll stay in the jungle room, please. That one needs a black light for sure, because there would be a oh, lot God. of shit <laughs> popping up in that room. Yeah, monkey semen and everything. <laughs> so anyway, the last stop on the tour is obviously his gravesite. Um, very tasteful. Uh, in 1991, Graceland was listed on the National Register of Historic Places and became a historic landmark in March 2006. The attraction plays host around 650,000 visitors every year and is the second most famous residence in America behind the White House. So yeah, the hot product is a ticket to Graceland. I've been there. It's it's popular. Excellent. I cannot wait. I meant to go in October um, if we can save up the money, but I can't wait. Well, now we just gave it away. Now you know everything. Now you won't be surprised when you go through that. Oh, dude, I can't wait to go rub myself up against the wall of the jungle room. That's what I'm looking forward to do. I went in the early night. I think I went in like 91 or 92, and the rooms were just, uh, there was just a rope that divided you from the room. I wonder if they changed it since. So you can't crouch down and throw your own poop? Uh, Like back (laughs) then, you can just, you can like go under the rope, touch the carpet, do whatever. I don't know if they've changed it, though, so put the poop in your pocket. I did go to, it's no longer open, but I did go to the Liberace Museum in Las Vegas, uh, which was literally in the middle of a strip mall parking lot uh, where they had probably millions of dollars worth of glittery pianos. It was quite weird and wonderful in its own way. Not a hot product, but okay. <laughs> now, Mike, what do you have? <laughs> it would be hot well, if I'd stolen one of the pianos. Then it would be That would have been awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. Go ahead. No, no, no. I- I've got nothing. <laughs> um, so it's a big year. Unfortunately, everything that goes on within this fucking big year decides to skip the fucking month that I've got. But I did find something, and I think this is interesting, because rarely do we get a product that, like, really catches the the pulse of the people. And what I found was an article uh, from the Daily News on June 20th, 1982, uh, from a writer called uh, named Bob Green, and the article is called The Big Bang in Toy Guns. And in the article, he explores uh, where the toy gun market is, and he interviews uh, Ron Arnett, president of Edison Toys USA, the leading manufacturers of uh, toy guns in America. He goes on to say that the real story is that toy gun business has never been better. And all I can say to that is hallelujah. He said that the social times are right for a surge in the number of children carrying toy guns. Ronald Reagan being in the White House kind of stokes the fire, Aaron said. He's not exactly perceived as a pacifist. Uh, we shot that Libyan plane out of the sky, you know. <laughs> Defense spending is at an all-time high. It all adds up to kids really being into guns. And I'm not, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but uh, he finishes the article uh, with another quote, and it says, Kids are the ultimate dictators of what they want, and what we offer them is very authentic, highly detailed line of toy guns. They're very, very fine products, and we're proud of them. So 
the toy gun market nice. is the hot the product. The word dictators was chosen <laughs> very properly in that article. Kids are dictators, and oh, we it's a gave terrific them the article. weapons for them to be their own dictators. <laughs> wow. Where was that article out of? The South? No, it was oh, the shit. Daily News. Wow. This is in New York. Um, but what's interesting is, like, I mean, when I was a kid, I remember these, like, and you probably, you guys probably remember these. They were these electric, like, water gun yeah. Uzis oh, yeah. that squirted this ink yeah. that would disappear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember that shit? And it looked yeah, they were out real, for man. about six to eight months, and then they recalled all of the black ones, and then they came out in neon colors with tiger stripes. And- yeah, those were badass when those came out. Yeah, yeah, I had the black ones. They were at my grandparents' house, and you know, we shopped. Yeah, you can with them. paint. Great. You can paint that shit if you want to hold up a department store or something. Nice, yeah. good to know. Good tip. Yeah, good tip. Good tip. Well, no, because it always drove me nuts in in the UK, especially after they banned uh, handguns. Uh, which I I agree with, but uh, when they when they did that, all the toy guns had to have those big chunky orange tips, the on, tips them. on it. And yeah. the only reason that annoyed me is when I in my late teens I went off to college to make um, to do film film uh, video and uh, media, and uh, every time you wanted to make a, a a film like a student film and have a gun in it, you had to like somehow either break the orange plastic of it or paint the orange plastic black. So Everyone in England knows how to do that, I feel, or certainly uh, uh, movie makers and bank robbers. They're the two people who know how to paint the tips of plastic guns. What year did that happen? Because remember, uh, like even Gotcha, I don't think they were just, they looked s- like regular guns in Gotcha. And that was 85. I, no, no, it's definitely in the 90s. Like, it's Oh, wow. Is the, that late? It's, yeah, it's by the point yeah, that I'm yeah, because... aware of it. Because when is Dumblane Dino? That's in the 90s, wow, right? that's 90, 92, 93. Does it happen after Dunblane, I want to say? Like, it's around then, right? That's when the lobbying starts to, to ban. Yeah, guns. definitely after that. Yeah, so it's in it's in the mid-90s. I mean, I can I go, think, go Yeah, go. I think ours got the bright colors probably. I was in middle school, so maybe like 90, 91, 92. Yeah, it was right around, around there. there. But you can still walk into American toy shops and buy guns without you know bright colors or anything like that you can still i mean not none of them are realistic realistic but they're you know if someone came at a policeman with them yeah um, not at all back in our day you could buy like a nine right you know like it would look like a real nine millimeter with a tip on it now it's they're futuristic shit yeah. those cap guns we yeah. used to buy man yeah like you can <laughs> pistol whip fucking, somebody with those we had revolvers things. they were like straight up yeah, like old school yeah, revolvers yeah you're talking about the die cast ones yep yeah. Oh yeah. hell yeah. They were heavy. Jeez. God. All right. You guys had uh toy guns and what do you know what was yours? Tickets to Graceland. Tickets to Graceland. Okay, cool. All right. Mark, do you wanna kick this off? All right. So June nineteen ninety five, I found a product that sold eight million a week for the entire month. If that's not a hot product, I don't know what it is. And you know what else is really hot? The hamburgers that came along with them, because these were the Pocahontas Burger King kids toys that came in their kids meals. And it was so huge that this actually gave Burger King the edge over the Goliath McDonald's, who was at the time putting out uh, Power Rangers toys. But the Pocahontas toys, way more in demand, actually gave Burger King that edge over McDonald's. Both of them had decreased the cost of their burgers due to beef prices dropping 
Uh, so they were able to focus more on the marketing to get those uh, parents in the door with their kids. So Pocahontas Tours that came out June 1995 from Burger King. Eight million a week. That's my hot product. So your hot product is obesity. <laughs> yes. We're Americans. That's what we do, bro. Yeah. That. Why do you think I live here? It's like they That's just right. have fucking cream rivers and chocolate mountains and beef yeah. fucking cities. and it's Dude, just I'm on a glorious. keto diet now where all I do is eat bacon and fucking hamburgers and shit. It's awesome, man. Yeah. Steak. Yeah. Steak some weights, baby. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking amazing! I'll, I'll never be against meats. Uh, I, I work. I work. I work at a, a place. Clip. I work at a place that deals a lot with what they call specialty food, and I always see shit like vegan sausages, and I'm like, nope, not sausages, <laughs> unless it's wrapped in the skin of an animal. It's not a sausage. Call it something else. You can call it a fucking salad wrap, or I, you know, I I eat lies or. Uh, I, I think that twice. somehow there's some kind of moral center to the universe because I'm a fucking idiot. Like, call it something other than a sausage. That's all I'm saying. Anyway. This is the audio point to point out that I'm a vegan. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> I know you didn't uh, ask, but we're supposed to tell you. Yeah, no, that's all good. That's all good. Uh, you know that I'm only kidding, Dino. <laughs> Except no, you do live on a mountain of lies. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> All right, Man Crush, what do you got for your hot product, man? All right, so June 21st, 1995. Um, going to talk about the internet again, because that's what I was doing in that portion of the 90s. This is a service that everyone's used before. Everyone on the show has used it. John's going to argue this, I'm sure, because that's what John does. But everybody at home has also used this before. The company itself has been around since 1976, and that's Ticketmaster. But Ticketmaster came out with Ticketmaster.com on June 21st, 1995. It went live. And why is that important? John's going to ask me. Why is it important, John? Let me give you a couple reasons why this is definitely a hot product for June of 1995. Uh, my, I see my, your face already. My so, only debate is, is it a product? That's my only, it, like, is dude, it a hot Of course, product? a website is a product. Why wouldn't a website be a product? Well, this particular website sells products to other things. Is Amazon a hot product, or are the things that it sells hot products? Do you know what I mean? Let, well, let me let me uh, just ask you this. I'll, so you finish, you finish, dude. I'll let you finish. In the '90s, if you're buying tickets, or before the '90s, have you ever purchased tickets before Ticketmaster.com was around? Yes. You would you would go yeah. to a place like Soundtracks. Maybe Mike would know that one because it's semi-local. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. coconut, strawberry, You would go Sam there, Goody. collect a yeah. number, maybe, or you just wait in line like an asshole for two hours to find out that you're fucked when you got to the door. Or you'd get a number that was given to you that you would sit and wait until somebody called it for you to get tickets. Now that Ticketmaster.com came out, I literally you can never go took on- a number to buy a ticket, but then I never went to... I, I, I would go to... I didn't use Ticketmaster or StubHub or any of that till probably in the last four years. Jesus, how old are you? Well, you know, when I was in high school, I just went and asked my friend. <laughs> well, if I bought tickets before that, it would probably be at the event. Like if, like if I went to a gig at the Albert Hall or something, I would go to Albert Hall and, and buy the ticket there. Perhaps, I yeah, perhaps in a smaller event. Now, I'll bring up the Pearl Jam suit that they brought against Ticketmaster in 1994. 
that actually they dropped in June of 1995 because it was literally impossible to have a tour in arenas without Ticketmaster being involved. For a big band, the only way that you can get tickets for it is if you go to one of these places and buy the tickets and then go. You're not going to go to a Pearl Jam concert and just show up. So Ticketmaster.com, it's a big deal and a hot product because now people want to go to the website to buy their tickets instead of waiting in line, doing all this other bullshit to get a ticket, which you might not get anyway. Now, if you try to do it online and the tickets are sold out, you don't waste any time. Well, we used to call up. We used to do phone call. Like when I went to see the Rolling Stones, you'd call up and wait on the phone and then buy the ticket over the phone. Um, But the, the... my only thing is, it's not the cultural significance of Ticketmaster. The cultural significance of Ticketmaster.com, you are well, you are completely correct. It has completely capitalized the market along with other sites like StubHub and so on, and AXS and other things. My only thing is, is that a product? That's my only thing that I'm wrestling with right now. Well, I can uh, go back to when you gave us Netflix. I mean, that's still online. That's a product. Did I give you so, Netflix as a hot product? Yeah, when we had the uh, Netflix being originated in the nineties, and that was a hot product. Was that it was also a or, hot product? Or was that under news? No, that was definitely because that wouldn't be newsworthy because nobody would know what it is. All right. If I gave you Netflix, then I have to consider Ticketmaster. Netflix is a product. You're actually buying it, and you're getting something from it. Whereas Ticketmaster, you kind of go in there occasionally to buy a ticket. That's right. a service. It's this, not a product. You, yeah, it's the same Dino, thing. Dino it's... does have a point, though. Yeah. Well, yeah. Actually, you could look at it this way: like, is Pizza Hut a product, or is it a service that provides Pizza products? Shit, <laughs> well, dude, I'm just trying to fucking. Yeah, but Mike, dude. you could also say about Netflix: Netflix is not the product; the product are the individual shows. No, it's it, it's quite uh, you know. A That's what I'm trying to figure here. out because I'd like to give it to you guys. <laughs> See, that's the thing. There's well, you know, there's you, total collusion like between to the two, the the UK connection here. John wants to give it to the '80s so bad that he's looking for every back door to get around whatever pick we have. Toy so, guns and Graceland—they are two behemoths, right? They're two toy, g- dude. Toy guns—you don't even have a <laughs> specific toy gun. <laughs> You're talking about the fucking industry. And I'll throw this out there. If you give it a toy guns after you shit on paintball, <laughs> then you're in the fucking wrong, my man. Wait, wait, wait. wait. More people bought toy guns than oh, they did paintball on, guns. Yeah. Also, Paintball's pay- a phenomenon, bro. Toy, toy guns led to super toy gun movies are there? <laughs> people love this, by the way. This is what people do. There's a for. lot. They tune in for like <laughs> rampant disagreements. <laughs> I'll tell you what, we all owned yeah. a toy gun. How many of us have ever owned a piece of t- of, of Ticketmaster? You know what? But Ticketmaster sucks though. Fuck Ticketmaster. I hate Ticketmaster. Um, <laughs> how many people went to Graceland the first day that it was open? Do you have those numbers? First day was three thousand. And how many over the month? Do we know over the month of um, June? It says six hundred and fifty thousand every year, average. Right, yeah, that's still not and, as successful as a as a Burger King toy meal, apparently. Yeah, eight million people a week weren't filing through Graceland. I'm pretty right. sure of that. Which is de- depressing because uh, that says something about our culture that I think is very real and important in these times. Um, 
Yeah, but people go to Graceland, and that that guy's he died on the toilet. <laughs> That's the point. Um, uh, 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 Man Crush, do you get to like touch the toilet where he died? No, you you don't actually get to touch anything. You're like uh-huh. in a straight file line. They should have it so that you could take. No, you know, like when you go up by the Empire State Building or something, they have like a green screen, and they'll take a picture of you with the Empire State Building behind you. They should have it at Graceland. Where there's like a green toilet you can sit on, and then they superimpose you. I'm dead not sure. He, I don't think he died toilet. at his house. Oh, did he well, die on the road? He might have died yeah, in, was on, the on the road. No, but he was should, on the road. You should still be able to get a time. picture of you dead on a toilet. That should still be a thing. <laughs> <That's so funny. laughs> and instead of a real toilet, it's a superimposed toilet just to make it like fancy. Even though you could go, I could go into my bathroom now and take a picture of myself dead on a toilet. Uh, <laughs> you laugh, but I did that one year for Halloween. I went as zombie Elvis, and I actually took a photo. I had someone take a photo of me, like, dead on the toilet. Did you glue Elvis. a fake toilet to your ass when you were walking around? That would have been a little cumbersome, so no. No. But... Would have given you some lower back issues, but it would have been good. All right, I'm going to have to give this to, for sheer numbers alone. Go ahead. You could just you could give it to him if you want to do that and make it interesting, because I, I know where you're going. Well, I no, know for sheer numbers alone, I've got to give it to you guys because I, and it's not just the Ticketmaster.com thing. Literally 8 million people a week getting a fucking Pocahontas Burger King thing, like Graceland and uh, Toy But Gun. were they buying the burgers before that? What was the number of burgers being sold the month before? Ooh, Dino has a nice, yeah, Dino has a, a good point. Mark, how many burgers in general do Burger King sell a week? <laughs> they didn't sell 8 million toys. They weren't selling the toy, they were selling the burger. Yeah, how many burgers or Happy Meals or whatever they're called in Burger King were they selling? It says here the analysts estimate that Burger King sales last year are up 5% domestically since spring, while McDonald's are only up 2.5%. So it's not hardcore numbers, like exact sales figures, but it does show that because of these toys, it did boost Burger King over McDonald's. Right, okay. Well, this was a hotly contested. Oh, man. Go ahead. Strike mine from the record. So there's no Ticketmaster.com. No, but I mean, even with that, the Burger King Pocahontas thing, that's impressive. Uh, and, 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 you know, I would have to also strike Mike's article about toy guns because I'm not really sure. It's Are we not talking like culturally significant, though? No, no, but no, no. Talking, but hang on, hang on a second. Culturally significant is Graceland, hands down. But in terms of sheer numbers, Burger King is winning. Even if you get rid of half of those sales, even if you get rid of fucking 90% of those sales, they still win. Uh, and there was a definite proven increase because of the, the Pocahontas dolls. Yeah, but the toy <laughs> gun industry did $61 million in sales. In June? No, just in general, yeah. in 1981, <laughs> which was a... Yeah, but June, we're talking about June 1982. Well, it's just, it was all year yeah, no, the guns were it. hot. I <laughs> but you, you, you referenced specifically an article, you didn't reference a toy gun. Well, there's yeah, many no, guns. That doesn't, that doesn't work. <laughs> so cultural significance, Americans do still like guns. Yeah, cultural significance, Graceland wins, as does guns, I guess. But Ticketmaster.com, oh man, this is fucking difficult. If whatever way I go, I'm wrong. 
whatever way I go. I, I told you, give it, give it to him. Let's go to the last round if you want to do that. Yeah, ju- uh, happiness is a warm gun. <laughs> June 1982 wins Graceland. Elvis. Elvis is the king. He beats Burger King every day, every time, all the time. He died because he ate a lot of Burger King. Elvis wins. Next. After the final round for music, Mike, what do you got? Well, I'll, let me tell you there, Mark. On June 8th, 1982, Eye of the Tiger, the third album by Survivor, was released and hit number two on the Billboard 200. Also containing the uh, hit single featured in Rocky Three. the song has become synonymous not only with the Rocky film series, but with the sport of boxing. Everybody knows what it's from, and you can thank Buddy from the first Rocky by offering that priceless advice, take it to the zoo, Rock. <laughs> Have you ever seen the original video for Eye of the Tiger? The non-Rocky? Oh, my God. Uh, no. The Survivor it's Not at all. The, the real Survivor one. It's it's them just walking down the streets yeah. of Chicago wearing leather jackets, just looking tough, but none of them look tough. Nice. It's, you definitely, it's so cringeworthy that it'll be hard to make it all the way through. Yeah, do you know what song they were supposed to use in that scene in Rocky Free? Instead of uh, Eye of the Tiger, it was supposed to be the best around. Ended up in Karate Kid. Wow, that would have been totally different. Some Phil Esposito in the house? And, yeah. Hell uh, yeah. Glad they picked the other. All right, Dino. <laughs> drop some more knowledge on us. What do you got for the music round? Okay, so on the 25th of June, 1982, it was a monumentous day in the history of music. This was the day Dex's Midnight Runners unleashed the monster new wave folk pop pounder with a twist of Celtic charm, Come on Eileen, on the unsuspecting public. The song was the second release from their second album, To Rye, which is one of the lyrics from the Come On Eileen's chorus. It reached number one in the US and the UK, as well as Australia, South Africa and Belgium. It went double platinum in the UK with sales of almost 1.5 million units, gold in Canada with half a million units, and was voted number one in VH1's 100 Greatest One-Hit Wonders of the 80s. Because this was the only song Dex has been runners actually released in the 80s. Um, well, for the States anyway. Now, although it was originally released in 1982 in the UK, it took almost a year to hit the Billboard Top 100. It made number one on the week ending 23rd of April 1983, removing the number one at the time, which was Michael Jackson's Billie Jean, and preventing Jackson's next release, beat it from hitting the top spot, which would have given him back-to-back singles for his legendary thriller singles. And Come On Eileen has then haunted pub jukeboxes and wedding parties for years before being seen as nothing more than the joke about spunking on an unfortunate named lady in the current age. So come on Eileen, Dexy's Midnight Runners. Uh, the video I posted on um, the Junior Decades page where I just sort of say, you know, you're a bunch of mugs. That was actually filmed outside the newsagent, which is featured in the video. So I actually went to the location on Monday and filmed that specially. Ah, that's where that ah. was, man. Yeah. I'm like, where is he? That looks kind of familiar. <laughs> yeah. Secret meanings. <laughs> yeah, it was um, only 20 minutes away from where I work. So I just popped down now. Did a quick video and got sat by the uh, residents for being a bit weird and creeping and around. Nobody the place. noticed that. Wow, well, that think, was awesome. Nobody knows that. Damn. So you guys had uh, Dexy's Midnight Runners. Now was that the release of the single or the whole That's album? The single. Uh, the single. I would say 1.5 million units in the UK, which is like stupid numbers compared to what songs sell these days. Oh yeah, yeah. no shit. And Mike had uh, that's the Survivor album. I have the tiger. Um. Yeah, it's the Doesn't album. Doesn't that make the album you want to go released, buy like um, a satin jacket with like a tiger on the back? 
Absolutely. Maybe put like a little, uh, you know, dog I necklace really around my wrist. And... How much have you drank? With like your name sewn on it. I want a cursive? satin jacket and then I'm just going to put ticketmaster.com because I feel like that's all I'm going to fucking hear for the next. <laughs> no, I don't. Whatever. Whatever. It's, it is no, what not, it is. Not from We're... you, dude, but from like people on the group are going to be like, what? That fucking judge gave it to fucking guns and Elvis. No, you know what? I'm dead serious. When he said Graceland, in my head, I think that's pop culture significance i think is right that's what that's high, what i'll hide so. behind sure okay yeah <laughs> right no, I, I, I think so all right mark we're uh we're up with this one you want to leave this one off sure all right this guy's name has come up a couple of times on this episode already and that's the king of pop michael jackson because on june 20th 1995 he released history past present and future book one uh, this album was a double disc album with the first disc being a greatest hits compilation. The second one being a brand new album. It debuted at number one in the U S and in the UK and among six other countries and six singles were released on the album as well. Scream slash childhood. You are not alone. Earth song. This is the time around. They don't care about us. Stranger in Moscow and the song smile was actually going to be a seventh single but that was canceled at the last minute. Past, Present, and Future Book 1 was nominated for five Grammy Awards, winning Best Music Video Short for Scream, which we talked about earlier that was uh, debuted on the Diane Sawyer program. It has sold over 22 million copies worldwide, making it one of the best-selling albums of all time. So you can't go wrong with that. It's the king of pop. It brought together all of his greatest hits. And then a whole new album of music along with it. So... Michael Jackson, History, Past, Present, and Future, Book 1, being released on June 20th, 1995. All right, good pick. All right, so I'm going to go a week before Mark, June 13th, 1995. Uh, this artist released her third studio album, but this was our first international release. And interestingly, this was actually released under the Maverick label. Are you guys familiar with Madonna's entertainment company that she launched in 1993? Just as a little quiz here. Does anybody know the first Maverick release? It was actually the only reason I bring this up is because it was like the first big guest we ever had. Nobody cricket. So it's it's actually it was Candlebox. Uh, Kevin Martin was on our show. I believe it was like episode 11 back in like 2015 or so. Really cool guy. But whatever. This album that I'm talking about, it had six big singles four of them were top 10 on the billboards it was certified 16 times platinum in the united states it sold 33 million copies worldwide which actually makes it the 14th best-selling album of all time billboard rated it as the seventh best album ever in their 2012 list of top 100 albums ever and most importantly she references having sex with Joey Gladstone and the album I speak of Alanis Morissette jagged little pill before anybody says anything. I, I know with albums and with music, it's, it's really difficult because it's all in the ear of the beholder. You know, it's like music is what you like and I'm not going to convince somebody to like something that they don't like. But if you look at the significant, the significance of this album and how big it was, this is, fucking insane how big the numbers are this album and the fact that this was her first real release because the other two were not big and then she had 
Glenn Ballard behind this album and everything else. It's a monumental album, but that's what it is. I have uh, last more set, Jagged Little Pill, and Dave Coulier. Come on. I just want to, and I'm asking not to be facetious. I'm just genu- gen- genuinely interested. Do we think, because obviously I'm well aware of how popular Jagged Little Pill was when it came out. Um, does it still have significance? And I'm only, I'm not being uh, facetious. I'm gen- I'm genuinely asking. Like, I don't know anyone who still listens to it, but, do, but do I'll you know? tell, I'll give you this story. Last, it was only two weeks ago, matter of fact, because I get my haircut every two weeks. I go to my barber who I grew up with as a child and I go to his barber shop. And I walked into his barbershop and Ironic was on. And I was like, oh shit, this is, what are you playing some 90s jams here today? And he said, yeah, I got like this 90s mix on. And then he said to me, he looks at me, he's like, it's fucking crazy. When you think about this album, he's like, and I didn't even remember the name of the album. And he's like, yeah, Jagged Little Pill. He's like, it had like six singles or whatever, how many singles on it. He didn't know the exact number. He said multiple singles. And as he was cutting my hair, I had to shave in the whole night. So I was there like an hour. Two other songs played on this 90s mix on Sirius that he was listening to, or on uh, on Spotify that he was listening to for top 90s hits. I mean, that's pretty significant. It just popped up. And then, of course, no, yeah, I just meant pick. like this, like from a pop culture thing, obviously, Michael Jackson will never kind of go out of fashion. He's, he's, you know, king of pop in the way that Elvis is the king of rock and roll. Uh, Jagged Little Pill to our generation was very culturally relevant at the time, and I'm sure any sort of nostalgic stations. I just wonder if people, like, are people listening to, like, a, a new generations or new people listening to, a, like, discovering Alanis Morissette right now in the same way that they discover Michael Jackson or Madonna? I, or I'm Prince not a or... huge Alanis Morissette fan, but I will no. say this. My daughter is 13, and she loves the song Ironic. Which is, so... So that's first of all, that's ironic. Yeah. Secondly, <laughs> the only thing that's ironic about the song "Ironic" is that nothing in the song "Ironic" is actually ironic. Le- nothing. Isn't that rain ironic your, though? Rain on your wedding day, not not yeah, ironic. It, not, yeah, not it's ironic pretty amazing. At all. It's bad luck. It's nothing to do with irony whatsoever. But that wouldn't go. Uh, with the Ten thousand spoons when all you need is a knife. Not ironic. That's that literally. <laughs> Nothing to do with yeah. irony whatsoever. No, you could still the eat. The only thing that's ironic <laughs> about the song Ironic is that nothing in the song Ironic is ironic. And if that's really what she meant, wow. Meta levels of... <laughs> yeah, of, oh, she got yeah. in there. Right. Yeah. Dude, 90% of music, though, makes no sense, especially music in the 90s. If you listen to lyrics, like uh, my no, wife true, and I were listening to a, a Bush song the other day because we're going to see Bush in live and... Our Lady yeah. Peace at the end of the summer, so we we had it playing. The lyrics are fucking ridiculous. Like they make absolutely no sense at all. No, but it's but it's like saying what what's what would be ironic is it would be like calling a song "I Love You," and then the whole song is about how much you hate someone. Like that's that's what ironic is like. Ironic is like calling a song "Cake." And yet the entire song is about a time you got lost in the jungle and was forced to have sex with a badger. Like, it's literally not about anything. Like, nothing in the song. Like, literally nothing in the... You could have called... The song Ironic could be called uh, I Like Pudding. John, like it, can, it, it I, can I put an end to this right to now? With, she yeah, writes yeah, a so. song about blowing Dave Coulier in a movie yeah. theater. Yes, I know. Yeah, That's I know. end she of discussion, very, bro. 
She was very angry. Uh, <laughs> she paved the way for Avril, Avril Levine. That's reason enough to hate her. Um, but uh, let's go to the boards and let's see the scores. Uh, I have the Tiger and come on Eileen. They are. I thought they were going to be two tough ones to beat, honestly, because um, I don't see I have the Tiger or come on Eileen ever going out of fashion. Um, Jag a little pill. I completely agree. At the time, monumental. I'm not sure it's still. Uh, 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 ways up today. 2012 I, I don't know Billboard Top 100. It was number seven in 2012. In 2012, it was. On the, I mean, they don't have articles for their top 100 songs every year. Right, 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 right. But right, when right. they did it in 2012, it was number seven album of all time. That's pretty significant. Wait, no, no, right, but of all time in terms of like sales and whatever. No, 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 right? no. like rated. Best album seven of all time. Ah, uh, yeah, critics. What do they know? Uh, <laughs> now, Jackson History, it you know that is a that's a monumental album. However, it it I have to take it in terms of June ninety five. I have to take it based on only the new content. I can't take it on the fact that it contains songs from... No, bullshit, bullshit. It's a fucking album. We're delivering you an album. You are trying your best to make the 80s win. It's fucking sickening, bro. Dude, I'm not listening to it. It's so In all seriousness, in all seriousness, I can't... How If if we're talking June of 1995, don't I have to just consider the music that came out in June of 1995? Well, I mean, technically, I mean, you... The other side, you guys also are picking two singles. So if we really want to get down to the nitty gritty, when did those albums come out? Well, you had the album. Well, you had the album. Well, no, the album. No, the album came out. The album came out June eighth. And what I'm saying is that the Rocky Three is basically what ended up selling that album, right, right, right. Because the song was featured on, on the album and in the movie. Can we at least get a consensus that you understand where I'm coming from? Oh, I, I get what you're saying. You're, you're trying. Yeah, you're trying to give the game to the '80s. I get it. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Okay. Um, no, I I know what you're saying, dude. I know what you're saying. My big debate is do I take Jackson History as as every single track on that album, which includes songs that were released prior to June of 1995, in which case you guys win hands down, or do I not? That's that's my big debate right now. And it's not because I want the 80s to win. I'm genuinely trying to deliberate something. <laughs> Can you, if a best of album comes out in that month, do we include it as a best of? Or do we, and, and all the songs contained within, or do we only include the new tracks? All right. Well, look, because, because I tell you what, I'm, I'm going to do this because we need to end the show. I'm going to go June 95 because I feel like I swung June 82nd on the previous round, uh, after much controversy. So I'm going to go June 95 on this one, but I'm going to do it under duress. Oh, God. I can't even <laughs> accept this victory. It's tainted. No, but I'll explain why, and I'll explain why once and for all. Jagged Little Pill, as successful as it was and as huge as it was in the 90s, I do not think it's still 20, 30 years later, whatever, has the cultural relevance. Secondly, history is made up of uh, an entire album of songs that were far more popular that came out t- 20 years prior to that album even being released. So that's that's where I get fuzzy about it. So that's why I'm doing it under duress. But you still win, guys. I, I know it's tainted though. I don't. I don't want. It's whatever. <laughs> He's like, I don't want the point. I don't want it. <laughs> and it was a fun, debative round. It was close. It was always going to be close. 
It was, it, and I know that you think it was because I have favoritism to the eighties, but it's not. It's because I was trying to genuinely do my job correctly. All right. Well, we'll leave this one up to the listeners as the game ends in complete chaos and controversy. Did Michael Jackson take a jagged little pill? Did we come in the eye of the tiger? Let us know what you think. <laughs> If you guys have missed an episode, you can always go back and check out all the episodes on DuelingDecades.com. You can subscribe to our show there on CastBox, also on iTunes or wherever else you find your podcasts. And you're listening to us now. And if you listen to this, this should come out on the 19th. Tomorrow is Trivia Night on CastBox. It'll be live on June 20th at 8 p.m. EST. Make sure you join us for that. We got some cool-ass prizes. We have... 20,000 content box coins for first place. I don't, it, that's like a million Turkish lira or something. It's like, <laughs> it's like $130 or something equated to. It's digital currency. Second place is 10,000. Third place is 5,000. We'll give away some other movies and stuff. It'll be fun. Yeah, we're going to have a great time. And look forward to next month where I might not return <laughs> because Man Crush is going to jump into my DMs and just swear at me for the next three weeks. Well, I'm fucking. I'm going '90s from here on out. Yeah, let's I'm, do I'm it. fucking calling out John every time. Listen, dude, how many rounds have you guys won? Seriously, like how many rounds? But anyway, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Well, on that note, duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Infirmary Media.